Isn't that good news, right? That the God can make everything new and, and that God really can make beautiful things out of our lives. And hey, turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you beautiful, never mind. Okay. Hey, you beautiful thing, right? Uh, I, you know, maybe I'll get somebody a date, right? You know, match.com happening right here in the auditorium. All right. Uh, uh, hey, what, what I want to do, I, I want us to start off by, by reading some, um, some scripture together. And, and, and I, I do realize that we, we all just sat down, and, uh, but that's okay. We know how to get back up. And, and, and we're going to just uh, stand up and we're going to read these scriptures. And sometimes we, we like to stand up just a sign of respect and honor for God's word. So if you would stand, and we're going to read scripture uh, about scripture. And I'll read the first slide, and we'll just rotate until we're done. But this is what God says about his own word. The first is from Isaiah 55. Uh, the rain and snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and hills will burst in the song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Amen. Amen. And then Paul writes to Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Then in Hebrews 4, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Amen. You can be seated. And let's go ahead and pray together. And sometimes we like to pray open palms, just ready, symbolic that we're ready to receive from God. Heavenly Father, we, we humbly come into your presence. There is nobody like you, God. Uh, nobody compares to you. Uh, you can take the dust of our lives and you can make something beautiful out of it. God, we thank you that you're at work even now, making us into something new making us that new creation that is created in your image. And, and Father, I pray that as we, uh, we study today, Lord, as we look at your word, God, I pray that your word will, will, will produce, that it will accomplish, Lord, um, that it will achieve all the results that you long for too. And God, I pray that you enable me, Lord, to, to speak in a way um, that brings you honor and glory and may your word find good healthy soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, well today we're beginning a, a, a brand new message series. It's going to be an in-depth study of the book of James. And, and as always, when I begin a new series, I'm, I, I'm extremely excited about it. 
And if you've been about, if you've been around Maple Grove for a while, you know that that I not only get excited about a new message series, but that I believe that that every series has a potential to lead to radical life change, both individually and collectively. And, and that I also believe that that every series has the potential to be the most important message series that I've ever given. And, and, and there's a good reason for that. You know, because every conversation that we have, every series that we do is grounded in the living, active, penetrating, producing, accomplishing whatever God wants to accomplish, God-breathed word of our Lord. And so I have confidence in what God can do. And I got to tell you, we've had, some, we've had some pretty good conversations this year at Maple Grove. I, I mean, we, we spent nine weeks talking about the need for us to pull up the, the weeds of the sinful nature so that we can grow the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We, we got to pull the weeds, and, and that helps God grow the fruit. And, and we spent four weeks talking about how, how God did it once, and how God, 2,000 years ago, empowered his people to proclaim a message that ignited a movement that changed the world, and, and that if God did it once, that God can do it again. And, and last week, we wrapped up a, a series called Tuned In, Hearing His Voice uh, Above the Noise, uh, a message about overcoming the noise and lies of the enemy that keep us bound up in insecurity, fear, self-centeredness, shame, and discouragement. And we overcome those things with the promises of God. And we, we had five confessions and, and a hard time leaving this series for me, right? You get that. Okay. And so uh, these five confessions are, God says, I am. God says, okay, that, that, was, that, was, that was pitiful. Okay. But you didn't know what I was asking for, so it's, it's, the pitiful's on me, okay? Now you get what we're doing, right? God says, I am. God says, I am. God says, I am. God says, I am. okay, we overcome fear with this confession. God says, he will. God says, he will. God says, he will. God says, he will. And he will, won't he? Don't you think he'll come through? And, and we overcome self-centeredness with this confession. God says, it's not about me. God says, it's not about me. God says, God says, and we overcome those feelings of shame and condemnation by this confession, God says, he has. God says, God says, God says, and then we overcome the discouragement with this confession, God says, I can. God says, God says, God says, amen, amen. And speaking of being tuned in, you know, um, you'll find on the kiosk out there that, you know, I put together this thing I'm calling, you know, the uh, Staying Tuned In, Pound the Ground, Summer of 2015 Challenge. That's a, that's a mouthful of words, right? And, and what it is is eight things that, that if you do these eight things, it'll change your life or you get a free lunch from me, right? So that, that's a promise, that if you do these eight things and your life stinks, still stinks after the summer, then I will take you out to lunch of your, your place of your choice. But you got to do these eight things, like reading God's Word, um, praying for the church, 
every day thanking God for two things? You know, because it's so easy to be ungrateful, you know. And if you're going to do this challenge, I want to encourage you to fill out your connection card, you know, sometime during the service and, and, and put it in the plate or in those boxes because I want to get all those names and, and, and we'll email each other so we can pray for each other, that we can stay tuned in, you know, so that we can hear God's voice above the noise this summer, okay? Well, it's, it's June 28, 2015, and like I said, we're kicking off a new series in the book of James, a, a conversation that, that, that we're calling Making It Real. And I have no idea how long we'll be in the book of James. I have no, no idea how long it'll take for us to get through these five chapters and, and, uh, you know, and the 2,400 plus words that make up James. Uh, I had someone after church ask me, well, how long are you going to be in James? Like, like four weeks? Like, I don't know. She goes, well, like five? I go, I don't know. You know, it's going to be a while. I'm not sure. But we'll see what happens, right? I think it'll probably last all summer long, at least, all right? And, and, and again, I'm calling it Making It Real. And, and I was very specific in, in, in picking that title for the series, Making It Real, because each word means something. And, and the word making is a verb, um, to bring into existence by shaping or changing material, combining parts, etc., cetera, uh, to produce, the cause to exist or happen, to, to bring about. Uh, making's a verb, to cause, to be, or become. Uh, making, to put in the proper condition or state as for use, fix, uh, to prepare. Uh, making, to bring into a certain form. And, and, and then, you know, the last word is, is the word real. And, and the word real, it's an adjective. Um, it means true, existing, being an actual thing, having objective existence, not imaginary, genuine, not counterfeit, artificial or imitation, authentic. And, and see, there's a difference between things that sometimes things can look real and they're not really real. You know, like I, I have some fruit here and anybody like, who likes grapes? Okay. Okay. Here. here try, want to try this grape right here. Is that a good one? You're not, you're not, no, no one's good. No one's just, okay. Well, you try this one. Well, you try this one. They got the real one, all right? And making it real, right? You know, sometimes things can look like they're real, but, but here, here's some, here, here you go, Daniel, since you participated. Thank you. All right. All right. And, and so making it real, making it authentic, and the it is faith. James is a book about making our faith real, making our faith authentic, genuine, and true. And listen, when we read Scripture, we find that, that, like, that faith is like a really big deal, and, and that faith is something that, that we should really want to have, uh, because Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, that faith, even the size of a mustard seed, can move mountains. We, we should desire faith because many times it is by faith in the name of Jesus, like the crippled guy in Acts chapter 3, that we are healed. Uh, we, we should desire faith because it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Romans 1, verse 17. Uh, Paul says in Romans 4, 16, the promises of God are received by faith. Paul says in Romans 5, 2, that through our faith, Jesus brings us into a place of undeserved privilege. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, that we are saved by grace through faith. And as we see in Hebrews 11, we should desire and want to have faith because people 
by faith overthrew kingdoms, quenched the fury of the flames, became strong in battle. Their weakness was turned into strength, and they received what was promised. And, and Hebrews eleven six says, and a, a great reason that we should desire faith is that without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. So I hope you're convinced that real faith, you know, that genuine faith, that true faith is something that we should desire. And here's the deal. And in the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to see that real faith, among other things, according to James, that, that real faith turns trials into triumphs. Real faith defeats and overcomes temptation. Real faith does not merely listen to the word. Real faith does what it says. Real faith keeps us humble and not proud. Real faith directs our tongues to bless and encourage, not slander and discourage. Real faith moves us to show mercy, not judgment. Real faith leads us to true religion and not its empty, hollow substitute. Real faith is patient in suffering and effective in prayer. Yeah, during the summer of 2015, James is going to challenge every single one of us in this room to make our faith real, to make it genuine, to make it authentic, to make it a faith that has the power to move mountains. Get it? Good. And as we, as we dig into this 2,000-year-old God-breathed letter, we're going we're gonna to see that, that James' message is it's, it's bare-knuckled and his style is bare-boned. I, I mean, this guy, he doesn't play around. Now, to James... Talk is cheap, and walk is what really matters. And that's not to say that, that James is saying that, that works is what saves a Christian, but rather that works and actions are what is supposed to mark a Christian. And so, you know, I, I want to encourage you to, to buckle up and hold on, because James is going to take us on quite a ride the summer of 2015. Now, now, now one thing that, that, that helps us understand a book better is when we know something about the author, you know, who wrote it, the audience, who was written to, and the reason why he wrote the letter or the book to begin with. And so let's talk about the author. Does anybody know who wrote the book of James? Any, any ideas out there? Anybody? Any guesses? James. All right. Good. All right. I mean, if someone would have said Paul, I would have dropped to my knees and cried right on the spot. All right. Uh, so James was written by James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not sure if you know this, but this is not the James who was the fishing partner of, of Peter and the brother of Apostle John. This is the James that was actually the half-brother of Jesus. You know, I, I kind of wonder what their relationship was like growing up. I mean, how would you like to have Jesus as your older brother? James, why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, I just can't. <laughs> Now, the scriptures, they don't tell us a whole lot about their growing up years together. Actually, we just have like two snapshots in the Gospels, and this is after Jesus had already began his ministry, about how James related to his brother. We know from John chapter 7 that while, while Jesus was doing his three years of earthly ministry, that his half-brother, John, did not believe that he was the son of God, all right? Because that's what happens when you have a half-brother. Uh, or a brother, you don't think they're deity, right? I mean, anybody have a brother? Did you ever think they were God? You know, okay. <laughs> Did they ever think they were God? Okay. 
And, and, and we know from Mark's gospel, Mark 3, verse 21, that as Jesus began his ministry, and as the crowds began to gather around him and listen to him, that his brothers and sisters traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum, Scripture says, to take charge of him. And that's not to be his agent. You know, okay, Jesus, you have potential. Let me get, find an agent and let get you some endorsements. All right, no, they thought Jesus had completely lost his mind. And that's also what happens when your half-brother starts claiming that he is deity. So all we have is these two snapshots in the Gospels, and then the very next time we see um, the brothers of Jesus mentioned is, is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And that's that time period between the resurrection and the birth of the church, when the church is on their knees praying for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them. And Luke records these words. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So what happened? What caused James, who didn't believe in Jesus, who felt that his older brother had lost his mind, to not only believe in him, but to be in the upper room praying with the disciples for the church to be born? I mean, why did James, shortly after the death of Jesus, push in all of his chips to the middle of the table and say, hey, you know what? My half-brother, the, yeah, the one I, I tried to have put away because I thought he was crazy, you know what? He really is God after all. I take it back. My brother is God. I'm going all in. Well, what happened? Well, Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He gives us the answer. Paul writes, now, brothers and sisters, I, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Uh, say first importance. That first, the most important thing, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. You see, what, what, here's what convinces you that, that your brother is God. is when you see your brother die a brutal death, you see him buried, you see him stay that way for three days, and then he shows up later and eats some fish with you on the beach. You see, it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that changed everything from James. It, 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 brought, it brought his faith to life. It's what, it's what began making his faith real. And, and, and we need to understand that the resurrection was more than something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. In John 11, Jesus is talking to Martha. Her brother had died four days earlier. And Jesus said to her, she's obviously upset. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. And listen, when we understand the magnitude of that statement, we realize that the resurrection is not just something that Jesus did, that the, but it's something, but it's who Jesus is. I am the resurrection and the life. And listen, this means that anything that Jesus touches has to get up and live again. That any life that Jesus inhabits has to live again. So we better be careful bringing dead things around Jesus because his touch can bring 
dead things back to life. I mean, if you, when you bring a, a, a dying hope, a, a dying relationship, a, a dying marriage, when you bring dying dreams, when you bring a dying anything that Jesus Look out because that sucker may just rise up from the dead because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Get it? Good. You see, the resurrection, it's more than just an historical event, though it is, and it's what our faith is grounded in. It's also meant to be a personal experience, one that changes everything. It's a game changer. It's the ultimate game changer. For those who've lost hope, for those who've lost heart, for those who have put their, put their dreams on the shelf, for those who are disqualifying themselves, for those who don't have it all together, the resurrection changes everything. For the tired and the broken, for the weary and the worn, for the hungry and the thirsty, for the lost and the found, the resurrection changes everything. Because the resurrection, it changes our past, it guarantees our future, and it fills our presence with the very power of God. If that's true, it changes everything. It changed everything for James. Understand, right out of the gates, James teaches us that that real faith is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that it results in a new life, a new purpose, and a new identity as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You you see, we now know who we are, right? If we know who we are, we know we're supposed to do. We are what? We are servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to serve God and we're supposed to serve Jesus. Yeah, the guy who wrote the book of James is a guy who grew up in the same house as Jesus, doubted Jesus, thought Jesus was insane, uh, saw Jesus die, saw Jesus raised from the dead. He's a guy that became a key leader in the church. Paul calls him in Galatians. He says, James, he's one of the pillars of the church. And he's also a guy who went so all in for Jesus that it literally cost him his life. You see, according to church tradition, not long after James wrote this letter, he's at the temple area preaching about Jesus. A mob grabs him, grabs him They take him to the top of the temple. They throw him off. He falls to the ground, but he doesn't die. Um, They they run down. They they pick up clubs, and they start beating him. He still will not recount. He he refuses to recount his belief in who Jesus is. And tradition says that literally as they beat him to death with clubs, he's praying for those who are taking his life like his brother. Yeah, that's the guy who wrote the book that we're going to study this summer. And I contend he has something worth listening to. It was a book written to, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, James is for all Christians, but I I do believe he had a specific first audience, which would be um, the Christians that were in Jerusalem with him who had to leave Jerusalem right after Stephen was stoned, right? Uh, We know from the Bible and history as well that, that once Stephen was murdered, the first martyr, that a great persecution rose up against the church, and everybody, all the believers, you know, thousands of them, fled Jerusalem, you know, leaving their homes, leaving their possessions, and, but as they left, and everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. So this letter was written by James to a scattered and persecuted church, and one more introduction question, why did James write this letter? 
to encourage Christians who are living in an increasingly hostile environment, to encourage Christians who are living in an increasingly hostile environment, sound familiar? To live lives that demonstrate real faith and not give in to the comforts and ways of the world. That's why I wrote it. Hey, that's exactly why I wrote it. Now, now here's, here, here's a basic outline how the, chap, how the book breaks down. In chapter one, we'll see trials and Christian perseverance that will move us to be doers of the word. In chapter two, we see the sin of favoritism and the relationship between faith and works. And in chapter three, James will, will talk about how we need to tame our tongue and about how we need to pursue the wisdom that comes from God. In chapter four, we're warned about worldliness and boasting in tomorrow and being arrogant. In chapter five, James warns against trusting in riches and the comforts of this world as something that will satisfy the deep longings of our heart and encourages us to be patient in our suffering and to be effective in our prayers. And, and that's the basic outline. And, and after James you know, wrote the letter, a, a, a runner would, would take that letter and, and go to a, a city where the, he knew there was a church. And he would deliver the letter and the church would gather. And it'd be you know, much smaller than this. They would be meeting in a home. I mean, they probably share a meal, and the, the pastor would open the letter from James, and understanding that, that it, it was Scripture, understanding that it, it carried authority, and they would open it up, and, and they, would, they would read the letter. And they'd eat a meal, sing some songs, they'd pray, and then they, they would open up the letter and read it, and actually, they would have it read to them, right? Because like, the pastor couldn't say, hey, turn in your Bibles, oh, you don't have one, you know? Hey, in your smartphone app, you know, open up James. They didn't have that, so they would have it reading. Uh, they would have the letter read to them. And, and here's what I, I, I would like us to do. We're gonna we're gonna go old school, like old, old, old school, this morning as we kick off the series, like first century old school. In just a minute, I, I'm gonna read, you know. I can't say I've never done it before because I did it first service, right? First time I've ever taken, you know, you know, a book of the Bible and read the entire thing in one service. But we're going to do that. Um, we're we're going to read the, and, and I know that our smartphones and our iPads have given us the attention span of a gnat, right? And, and uh, uh, but 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 I, I think we can do it. And and, and if if you want to just listen, you can. I'm going to be reading from the the New Living Translation. If you want to follow along, or you just sit back and listen. It's actually not going to pop up on the screen. And, and as, I, as I read this, um, there's like three themes I, I kind of want you to zero in on. Number one, I want you to look for and see that suffering never surprises God. He does not promise that we will not suffer, but rather that he will be with us in our suffering and that he will redeem that suffering. Number two, I, I want you to notice that, that our God is about progress and not perfection. Progress, not Perfection. Where there's faith, there is always movement forward. Now, it may not be a 100-mile-an-hour movement, but there's still movement forward. And lastly, I want us to look and see that, that the constant pull of this world is that riches and comfort and agreeing with the world is what will satisfy. And I want you to see that that, that, that pull always, always, always is a lie. So... You know, if you want to, again, you can open up your, your smartphone, and I'm going to be reading, you know, like, the runner just came, you know, 
we're the early church sitting here, and we're going to read the entire book of James, looking for those three key things. Sometimes pages are quicker to turn on, aren't they? Boom. All right, here we go. This letter's from James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they're unstable in everything they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. Uh, They will fade away like a flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember... When you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're only fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim that faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, what you say to the poor one, You stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus' name, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed. It is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. 
love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you're committing sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's law. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are, we are shown to be right with God by, by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid the messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as a body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot wants it to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It sets your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursings come, cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. 
What, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others get, have, but you can't get what you want. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is a judge. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town, and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning mist. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. What we ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own uh, pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Look here, you rich people. That'd be most of us in America, if not all of us. Weep and groan with anguish because of all of the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotten away, and your fine clothes are moth-eating. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the workers, workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers and patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For, the, for look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. And if you happy, you should sing praises. And if you're sick, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. If you committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah 
was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings a sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and will bring about the forgiveness of many sins. May God bless the reading of his alive, active, sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating, producing, accomplishing word. Now quickly, just about those three things, and we're going we're gonna to be wrapping up. Again, trials, suffering, and difficulty are to be expected. And they do not surprise the heart of God. Understand, our God does not drive an ambulance. You know what I mean by that? An ambulance shows up after the accident and, and, and tries to put things back together. An ambulance shows up and goes, oh my goodness, we have to save this life. But that's not how God operates. He doesn't show up after the tragedy. No, he's there the entire time, during and before the tragedy, working with us, walking beside us, and redeeming that hardship, whatever it is, for his honor and for his glory. Get it? So then, what are we to do with that truth in light of our current suffering? Well, the place I will point you to for the rest of my days, as long as I have breath, is I'll point us to the cross. Understand, there's no greater objective evidence that God is for you and not against you than the fact that Jesus Christ died so that he could redeem and ransom you from the penalty of your sin. Amen? I mean, we have ever before us the public spectacle of the crucifixion that is objective evidence that regardless of our hardships and our difficulty, that God is for us and not against us. God is for us and not against us. That, that God has not and will not ever abandon us. Never, ever, ever, ever. Amen? And next we see in the book of James, and it's one of the reasons why I love this book so much, is that if you live to be 170 years old, I don't think anybody really wants to live that long, you know, but let's say you get there, and you read the book of James, you know, um, you know, after you spent 150 years trying to live the Christian life, and you read the book of James, and you're like, dang it, I, I, I still have so far to go. You know, I, I, I don't have this thing down. I, I still have work to do. You, you see, James underscores the truth that we still have so far to go. We still have work to do in this journey of sanctification, of becoming like Jesus. I, I don't know about you, but just, just reading James and studying this text, I read it, I'm like, you know, man, I have a lot of work to do. I'm still not that great with my mouth, you know, with my tongue. I'm just not. I still say things I, I shouldn't say. And, and I, I, I'm still not that good at listening before speaking. And I'm still, sometimes I, I get angry angry quicker than I should, and, 
and I'm not always patient in my, in my suffering, and I, I don't always pray earnestly like Elijah, like I'm thinking that God really could shut up the heavens just because I'm asking him to do it. And, 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 and I still feel this pull, this pull sometimes to, you know, to, to show a little more favor to somebody who can do something for me, who can help me out than someone maybe who can't. And, and, and I feel this pull to define my Christian walk by, by other things than looking after the orphan and the widow and keeping myself untainted from the world. I, 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 I keep feeling those pulls and other pulls, and, and I'm like, God, why do I have this pull? Why do I have to keep fighting it? God, I, I know better than this, yet I'm still pulled by these things. And, and when I read the book of James, the Holy Spirit exposes in me where I still fall short. And Maybe as I read James, maybe he did the same thing to you and said, hey, you know what? You haven't arrived yet. You haven't nailed down this Christianity thing. You still have work to do. But remember, the Holy Spirit's job is not condemnation, but rather conviction. Holy Spirit says, you know what? Yeah, you know what? You have some work to do, and I would like to come alongside of you and help you work on it. And that's the good thing about the book of James. We're going to see that it's about it's about progress, not perfection. I mean, if God gave you a thousand years, your tongue would still not be fully tamed. I mean, you might, it might be better, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can think I have that sucker tamed, and that wild beast will leap out. Boom. It's like, wow, okay, I still got an issue here, right? I still said something I shouldn't have said. I still talked about somebody behind their back in a way that does not honor God, all right? Uh, um, it's about progress, not perfection. Then finally, we saw that you know, the way of life will, will never be found in the things of this world. You know, that, that we, you know, James said, it, riches and the comforts of this world are never going to satisfy the deep thirst of our souls. It's just not going to do it. And, and, and James also makes a big point of saying that you know, trying to fit in, trying to be a friend of the world doesn't work. Because to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And, you know, when we try to fit with the world, it, 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 it makes us think, you know, it, it would just be easier if I sell out, right? It would just be easier if I just kind of readjusted what, what God has said. It's like, God, you know, God, you're making... You're making us look pretty crazy as Christians right now. You, you, the way you define things, uh, the way you lay out obedience. God, nobody thinks that way anymore. God, could you throw us a bone here? Could you, could you, could you maybe give us a makeover? Could you help us out? You see, the tendency to, to sell out for the world's approval will be a constant pull and an ever-increasing pull in the decades to come. And James, what James wants to do is James wants to drop us an anchor by giving us God's take on things and by challenging us to pursue the wisdom of God. You see, what matters is, you know, is not what POTUS says or SCOTUS says, right? You know, 
the President of the United States, the Supreme Court of the United States, or the media, what matters is what God says. You know? And, and, and church, don't be freaking out what's happening in our world today, right? In our country today. Because God, guess what? The sun still came up this morning. Oh my goodness, it still came up. God's still on his throne. And people are still worshiping him. Amen? You know, and, and what James is anchored, James is giving us is like, I don't know if you were, as a kid, did any of you ever do something stupid, right? You know, that your, your mom and dad jumped in there and said, hey, you know, I know you think you're, you know a lot, you're four years old and you're pretty intelligent, but I know some things you don't, and I can see that, you know, riding your bike, your tricycle in the interstate is a bad idea. You know, I can see that sticking the fork in the light socket is not a good idea. And they jumped in and they spared you. They said, no, no, don't do that. That's not the way, that's not a good idea, Steve. That's not, don't do that. Well, James is like that. It's like, it's like, James is like our heavenly dad come alongside and say, hey, 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 yeah, I, I know you're like smart. I know you're like 16 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 60 or 80. But God's like, I'm eternal. I'm eternal. And, and, and I know some things that you don't know. And, and I say things that, that you can't see. And, and God says, you know, James says, that's not a good idea. That, that's not how you should do things. Instead, this is the way to life. This is the way to meaning. This is the way to depth. This is the way to purpose. This is the way to the fullest life possible. This is the way to life in all its fullness. This is the way to the life that I created you to live. And so James wants to give us an anchor to say, this is the way. You can't see it, but I can. And this is the way to life in all its fullness. And this is the way to the life that I created you to live. Amen? The resurrection changed everything for James. And it still changes everything today, right? Cleans us up our past, guarantees our future, and empowers our presence. We're going to sing a song leading into communion, and where we're going to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. And a song about who our God is and how faithful our God is and how much our God cares about us. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys if you just stand and pray with me. If you're today and you're, you want to talk about your journey with Christ, you can come up here. You, if you need some prayer, we can pray with you. Um, but I just... I want to encourage you guys to really worship God and declare who our God is and how great he is and how powerful he is and how much he loves us and how much he's there for us. And that even when we are not faithful, our God is always faithful. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in this room, Lord, to, to lift up praises to your name. And God, thank you for James. And thank you that he, he wrote down these words for us and uh, to show us what is right and, and, and what is wrong and how, how we need to tame our tongue, Lord, and how, how we need to deal with life, Lord. And, and so, God, I, I pray that you'll be with us in this series. And, God, I pray you'll be with us now as we, we lift up our praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen.